What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. Hello to everyone listening live. Our evil army of the night. Hello to the Daywalkers, everybody listening to us uh, on demand on the SiriusXM app on the John Fuglesang podcast. We love you very much as well. You're always welcome to stay up late and call us live sometime and join the Jamboree. Otherwise, feel free to write us anytime at johnfuglesang.com or at the show's Facebook page. You know what to do. We got a lot to get to, and I'm so glad you could be with us. There is a... Uh, Whew. Well, Chris Hauselt is our executive producer. Thea Harper is our associate producer. Before we go anywhere, this is the announcement of the Sexy Liberal Tour by Stephanie Miller. Now it's called, what is it called now? It's called the uh, the Bereavement Tour. It's, no, no, no. It's, it's, it's called the... Uh, Save Democracy. Saving Democracy Tour. That's what it is. Because that, that's good. We got to save democracy, right? After we get enough foam on the latte. That's going to be coming for one East Coast state on Saturday, the 10th. Of September at Sydney Harmon Hall in Washington, D.C. We got one Midwest date. That's in Chicago. One L.A. date, October 22nd in L.A. at the Saban Theater in Beverly Hills. But only one show on the Holy School. We're not doing Boston. We're not doing it. We tried to do Atlanta. Oh, I fought. Oh, did I fight to do Atlanta? We're not we're not even doing New York. Only no, no Philly. God damn, Steph, get out of your house. Only one for the entire East Coast. And for the first time in like nine years, I think it's going to be uh the first show with just the original tour lineup, Stephanie Miller, Hal Sparks, and myself. We've had lots of great special guests over the years on this tour. From Good God, Martin Sheen has been on stage with us. Lily Tomlin's done a whole bunch of these. Rob Reiner's done a ton. We've had Nancy Pelosi join us on stage. Ted Lou, Adam Schiff, it's a party. I can tell you Glenn Kirshner's going to come. He's very, very funny. The impressions are great. That's going to be... On the 10th of September, we really are excited to see you. I think the VIP meet and greet tickets are sold out, but there's still plenty of great seats available. Sexyliberal.com. Please do come down. Also, uh, Robert Redford turns 86 today. Yeah, I I wasn't ready for this either. Uh, So last night was Robert De Niro's 79th birthday. Tonight it's Robert Redford's 86th. We are going to be asking you when you call to talk about politics, to talk about all the threats to our democracy to talk about Donald Trump, talk about Alan Weisselberg and how Donald Trump's having a very, very bad week, maybe a week, I dare say worse than last week's. I mean, federal judge ruled the affidavit used by the DOJ to secure the search warrant for Mar-a-Lago can be released in redacted form. Weisselberg pleaded guilty to 15 counts of tax fraud on behalf of the, essentially just saying in open court that he's helped Donald Trump cheat for years uh, Ron DeSantis announced 20 indictments by his shiny new election crimes and security task force, but a federal judge struck down his Stop Woke Act. <laughs> so whatever you call in to talk about, be prepared to talk about Robert Redford turning 86 um, and what your favorite Redford film or favorite Redford performance is. Chris, I'm curious about yours. Uh, Robert Redford, I think, is a uh, tremendously underrated actor. He's uh, celebrated as a movie star, but All the President's Men, The Sting, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, uh, Three Days of the Condor. I could go on. The Natural. Jeremiah Johnson, which is one of the most memed movies, The Candidate. Uh, Downhill Racer, Brubaker. He's great in The Horse Whisperer, by the way. Did I mention that? He's great in that movie. 
I don't know what Spy Game is about, but he's great in that. I sat through it. Um, so many terrific films as a director as well. And out of Africa, of course, Ordinary People he directed and won the Oscar for. So when you call, be prepared to talk about Redford. Thank you very much. Also, happy birthday to a good friend of this show. One of the greatest comedians alive. One of the best stand-ups I've ever seen. One of the, I think, defining stand-up comedians of the last 50 years, Elaine Boozler. I, I would say happy birthday, but she's in Italy. She's already having a good one. And happy birthday to the second oldest first lady ever, Rosalind Carter, who turned 95 years old today. She uh, went out in public, which she doesn't do too often these days, for the dedication of a, a sculpture in Plains, Georgia. Her husband, former President Jimmy Carter, turns 98 on August 1st. So let's get to it. Let's do a show. Now, we're having these discussions a lot over school library books and curriculum and how much control parents should have in terms of what books are on the shelves and what books are not. In April, PEN America, which is a literary and free expression advocacy organization, I've done a lot of great shows with them, they had a study and they found that 1,586 books were banned in 86 different school districts across 26 U.S. states from July of 2021 to March of 2022. Texas came in first. They had banned the most books at number 713. Uh, Pennsylvania came in second. Florida came in third. So this week, we're hearing quite a bit about yet another series of book removals being implemented at schools, not from the top down, but at the behest of conservative activist parents and some school board members who are challenging a lot of different texts on grounds ranging from, well, they're, 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 they acknowledge gay people exist. They acknowledge trans people exist. And of course, ready, uh, they are somehow connected to critical race theory, which you've didn't hear is the worst thing that's ever happened to white people because it teaches some white children that being mean to non-white people is bad. The Keller Independent School Districts in Fort Worth, Texas, Board of Trustees adopted new policies last week, uh, approved unanimously by their new board. And that's important. This is the brand new Board of Trustees for the Keller Independent School District in Fort Worth, Texas, approved unanimously August 8th. New standards for how books and other instructional materials get chosen for schools, including now before a library can purchase a book. They've got to put it up for 30 days of public review. So if anyone, did I say anyone? I mean any batshit parent has any problem with any book being insufficiently, oh, patriotic, Christian, heteronormative, well, then they can be challenged and libraries won't be allowed to purchase them. And of course, their new policies include removing challenged materials from shelves, at least until at some point. They can be reviewed. Now, this week, officials in this school district have directed school staff and librarians to take books off the shelves if they have been challenged at all through the district's formal complaint process in just the past school year. So they just took a lot of books off the shelves. Again, it's just one school district. But as we point out all the time, your state and local elections impact your life a lot more than who's president. Uh, they took down the Bible. They took down the illustrated adaptation of the Diary of Anne Frank. Yes, they banned a graphic novel version of the Diary of Anne Frank. You idiots. <laughs> it's beautiful. Thank you, fascists. Thank you. This entire rant is going to be a thank you to your book-banning ways. Now, maybe you're having a conservative moment where you're saying, yeah, well, I heard it's a graphic novel, and it, it deals with inappropriate stuff, like, like, like there's references to female genitalia in this graphic novel, and, and a girl's getting her period, and same-sex attraction and other sexual matters. So that's, that's pornographic, yes. That's also the same stuff that's always been in the Diary of Anne Frank. Always been there. Never been a problem. <laughs> Now it is, you morons. Yes, you, morons. Your lane is ready. Ban the diary of Anne Frank. Do that. You know why? Because young people need to know, as early as possible in their development, that you regressive, anti-First Amendment, authoritarian fools 
are not to be trusted. Anne Frank's Diary, the graphic adaptation, that's what it's called. It's by uh, an Israeli filmmaker named Ari Folman and illustrations by David Polonsky. It came out three years ago, and it is a graphic novel adaptation of the best-selling diary by the world's most famous teenage Holocaust victim. When this came out, at the time, the New York Times reviewed it and said it was so engaging and effective that it's easy to imagine it replacing the original diary in classrooms and among younger readers. Yeah, ban that morons. This was submitted last year, and the committee reinstated the book and thought that was the end. But, but, after the new school board elections they just had in May, right-wing activists backed by campaign funds from a PAC that's affiliated with the conservative cell phone company Patriot Mobile. Well, with that Patriot Mobile money, the right-wing activists gained a majority on the school board because showing up for local elections matters. Right-wing money bought the school board, and now they've banned the graphic novel of the Diary of Anne Frank. So here's the deal. Idiots, if you're listening, whenever anyone mentions any of these books you've pulled, people who never would have heard of these books will now know them because you authoritarian regressives have made these books more famous. And some kids, not all, but some kids that never would have read these books will seek them out. Because kids are curious. And when you tell a kid you're not allowed to read something, a smart kid's going to wonder, why? Why does this grown-up I've never met think that this book that's been in the library for years is somehow going to damage me or maybe damage my perception of them? The school district put out a statement saying, right now, Keller ISD's administration is asking our campus staff and librarians to review books that were challenged last year to determine if they meet the requirements of the new policy. All of the books included in Tuesday's email have been included on Keller ISD's book challenge list. They call it the book challenge, like like it's an event on Survivor. Uh, Books that meet the new guidelines will be returned to the libraries as soon as it is confirmed they comply with the new policy. Uh, Lainey Hughes is a parent of four children in the Keller district. She told uh, the Jerusalem Times newspaper, it's disgusting, it's devastating, it's a legitimate book banning, there's no way around it. I feel bad for the teachers and librarians. Yeah, great to do. Uh, If if you don't want to have accusations of anti-Semitism, try to to ban the diary of Anne Frank. See, the Keller school district, and lean in, because this could be coming soon to a community near you. We tend to show up because progressives, liberals, moderates, anti-evil people show up uh, for the presidential election, sometimes for the midterms. We're not as good as conservatives at showing up for state and local. You know this. You know this. If you have no life but hating liberals, you will not miss an election. Conservatives show the fuck up. That is why the status quo gets to be the status quo. So in the Keller School District, they allow parents, employees, and district residents to file formal objections or challenges to books and instructional materials used in schools. And then a committee considers whether these materials are educationally suitable, and they make a decision on whether these books can stay in schools or not. Now, they can also decide to limit the use of these books to particular grade levels or students who get permission from their parents. And this is the way the right wing is going forward. They're, they're going to have grassroots authoritarianism, which means they can't censor the books. So they'll get right-wing citizens to censor the books for them. Like in states where they're not sure if they can totally ban abortion, they'll give bounties to people who turn women in for having an abortion. You can sue someone for assisting someone getting an abortion. Ron DeSantis, with the Don't Say Gay law... It's not the school saying you can't say gay. It's any parent that wants to sue you for saying gay can sue you. So he wants to make it easy to sue schools or businesses that are anti-racist. It's grassroots authoritarianism. They're doing it from the bottom up instead of the top down. This is the new playbook for the GOP. What? Us fascists? No. We're responding to the will of our people, our very organized people who show up to vote and are well-funded. The... Literary organization Penn America condemned this district. They said the sweeping attempt to remove these titles from classrooms and libraries on the eve of a new school year is an appalling affront to students' First Amendment rights. 
it is virtually impossible to run a school or a library that purges books in response to any complaint from any corner. Now, books that were challenged in the past year, and again, if it was challenged once, it's now been taken off of the shelf. Uh, It includes some that are about LGBTQ experiences, like All Boys Aren't Blue by George Johnson. The committee did decide to keep that in the schools. Now it's been pulled anyway. Gender Queer by Maya Kababi, which was removed from the district's campuses. Uh, Toni Morrison's novel, The Bluest Eye, was challenged and kept by the committee. That's now been taken off as well. Again, the Bible was challenged last year. Uh, That's been removed from school shelves. Uh, Alison Bechdel's Fun Home, uh, John Ronson's So You've Been Publicly Shamed. One member of the Keller School Board said, we are very pleased that our new unwoke school board has made these changes. This is just the beginning, I hope. Unwoke. Folks, if you're ever around a right-wing idiot who uses the term woke, you know, like a a real, just soulless, racist, like like a Ron DeSantis. If you're around Ron DeSantis and he says woke, ask them, what does that mean? How do you define woke? And then ask them, what's the opposite of that? I mean, if woke means you're extra sensitive to racism, that you care about injustice, that you want to try to do a better job at being kind to people, what's the opposite of that that you fight for? They're already proud to be anti-anti-fascist. So I salute you, you backwoods, fake Christian, anti-First Amendment mega-tragics. You are going to sell so many books. Oh my God, these authors are going to sell so many copies of these books. I want to write a book just so I can get it banned from the school district. You're going to make a lot of money for these authors you're trying to censor. Also, thank you, MAGAs, young people in your communities that would never have heard of these books will now seek them out so they can see what you didn't want them to see. Figuring out that conservative authoritarian grown-ups are full of shit is an important part of any smart teenager's development. Well done. Your parasitic need to control other people and what they see and what they think will teach young people to regard you and your politics with distrust. Why would a young person want to support a party that doesn't want their eyes seeing certain books? See, if we tell young people you're full of shit, we got to be funny or have a catchy slogan or meme. You're doing our work for us. You're showing young people in Texas that you're the grown-ups not to be trusted. So thank you, Keller. You help these books get attention. You help these books get read. You help young people realize you can't be trusted. And, and Keller is part of the Dallas-Fort Worth metropolitan area. So maybe, just maybe, you'll inspire more people to show up next time for their local elections. Remember, yes, it's true, uh, that this Texas school district did remove the diary of Anne Frank from school, but try to see it from both sides. This is Texas, which means that if Anne Frank were there and alive and a pregnant teenage rape victim, at least they'd also force her to carry her rapist child. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. And welcome back. In the next week or so, our guests will include Martha Plimpton, John Boyega of the Star Wars films, and we'll be having a special uh, in-studio town hall with Ken Burns for his amazing new film about the Holocaust. Do not miss that in the weeks to come. So we've been talking a lot, obviously, about all the different activists and journalists and politicians who are working to try to find solutions for the gutting of Roe v. Wade. But at the same time, we need to talk about all the anti-abortion groups that are not content 
with getting Roe v. Wade, but are trying to find ways to scale back the rights of women in all 50 states. The National Right to Life Committee drafted and circulated this, what they call model legislation, sort of like ALEC, where they'll just cut and paste this and send it around to state legislatures and say, go ahead and pass this. But under the National Right to Life Committee's proposed legislation, uh, it would prohibit aiding and abetting any American seeking an abortion, including by, quote, hosting or maintaining a website that encourages or facilitates efforts to obtain an illegal abortion, which means you could say this could be done to criminalize news organizations. This could be done to criminalize journalism that just posts stories about abortions on their website. And this campaign to end abortion this way is gathering speed across the country. We're seeing conservatives pushing state-level laws that could threaten more press freedoms. So Mother Jones and Rewire News Group have spearheaded a letter to Merrick Garland directly asking the DOJ to protect journalists from this anti-abortion legislation that is criminalizing or seeking to criminalize reporting on abortion. This letter was signed by 26 different news outlets, BuzzFeed, Huffington Post, and I'm so pleased to welcome both Galena Espinoza, the president and editor-in-chief of Rewire News Group, uh, and Jonna Berry, chief operating officer at Mother Jones. Uh, before Mother Jones, Jonna was head of content operations at Wired. Ms. Berry, Ms. Espinosa, what an honor to welcome you both. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank really you. nice to be here. Thank you both. I'm so honored and inspired by what you've done. Let me ask, begin with the most obvious question. What was it that spearheaded this effort? Uh, it's the sort of dynamic that we haven't even had time to think about yet. It, it seems like we're getting new abortion horror stories a couple times a week. I will confess that this is a dynamic that had never even occurred to me in spite of all these bounty laws that are out there. What was it for each of you that first made you realize this was a very real concern? The thing that made this such a concern for us at Mother Jones is that we, like Rewire, have been following the uh, repeal of Roe v. Wade really closely. And one of the things that um, actually harks back to pre-Roe v. Wade is that there used to be laws that used to uh, limit what information could be disseminated about contraception and abortion. And now that Roe v. Wade has been repealed, uh, the Conservative forces that want to bar the right to abortion also want to bar our ability to even talk or transmit any information about abortion. And we've always lived in a country that really treasured the right of a free press and most importantly for people to access the information that they need about their health for themselves and their families. And we saw how this could be just an incredible threat, not only to the press, but also to ordinary citizens who just want to access information. I think freedom of the press is one of those rights that people take for granted and don't even think about because, of course, it is enshrined in the Constitution. But you know what? So was Roe v. Wade. And what the Supreme Court did with its decision um, in the Dobbs case that came at the end of June was essentially say there is no constitutional right to abortion anymore. And that this was an unprecedented decision because it overturned nearly 50 years of, um, of abortion being you know, considered part of the Constitution and the Constitution's protections. And so it's not really a surprise that um, that the anti-forces would start to think about other constitutional protections, other rights that we have always taken for granted and assumed were protected because the Constitution says so. Um, But it is alarming to see how quickly they have mobilized and moved forward um, with such a very specific recommendation. And I think it's because um, they're really trying to spread fear. There is there is chaos right now. Right. There's legal chaos. There's healthcare chaos. There's cultural chaos. And and, you know, creating chaos in the media is is yet another um, part of their long term strategy. I, I agree. And it's very targeted chaos. It's very uh, precise chaos and it's very targeted fear. We began the show talking about different political efforts that we're seeing now that are coercive in nature, where rather than top down authoritarianism, rather than the state doing it, it allows or enables or encourages ordinary citizens to violate the rights of others. 
Ron DeSantis's Don't Say Gay bill, for example. Of course, any teacher is still allowed to say gay. It just makes it very easy for anyone to sue any teacher for any reason for saying any words they don't like. And it seems like it's sort of a, a grassroots kind of authoritarianism. I mean, if, if news orgs are vulnerable in states where they have offices or if they're vulnerable in states where they have employees that just live and pay taxes there, it certainly seems like this is another kind of fear tactic because – I would imagine a lot of organizations, especially small independent groups that can't afford legal fees, can't afford fines, are terrified of actual jail time from local yahoos. I mean, isn't it conceivable that some organizations would just choose to not publish stories about abortion? It's so interesting that you bring that up. I actually interviewed a few First Amendment attorneys for a column I wrote this week to explain to our readers why we were taking part in this effort. And one of them told me that as soon as these laws start passing, even if it's just in one state, uh, the law is really broadly written. So even if an organization, a person is not in South Carolina, say they're sitting in California, they're sitting in Chicago, if they produce information that's seen or heard by someone in South Carolina and they decide to have an abortion, they could be prosecuted by under the law, even though they're not in that state. And so he said, the attorney told me that as soon as these laws start passing, it will have a chilling effect. There are small organizations that will just decide, or individuals, it's too risky. So even if this law passes only in one state, it will probably immediately start to have an impact on what kind of information is available in other parts of the country. And the vagueness of the wording is a deliberate part of the strategy. We saw this last fall when Texas passed SB 8, its bounty hunter law that, you know, extended beyond patients and providers. And it said anyone who is found to have helped someone get an abortion. Well, what does help actually mean? And what if that person traveled to another state and someone in that state helped the person get an abortion? Can they go after the person in a separate state? I mean, these are all questions that, again, are contributing to this chaos and that eventually will be resolved in the legal system. But by that point, lives will be damaged. Media organizations will be bankrupt. I mean, the harm that is going to be caused, the harm that we're already seeing caused, um, it's really cruel. There's no other word for it. I mean, if conceivably an article quoted people who work at a place that provides abortion services, if an article talked to an expert who explained to the journalist how one would seek to order pills for chemical at-home abortions, it, it is conceivable that someone could actually sue the journalist, the publisher, and even the domain host for putting this information out there. A hundred percent. Does even just printing the word abortion fall under this very vague, broad definition of aiding and abetting? abetting? Are we allowed to talk about it at all? And I think that anytime you see that kind of attempt to shut down conversation and information um, that has a direct impact on people's lives, we should all be deeply, deeply concerned. And I think it's really important to remind people that abortion is a very common part of women's reproductive lives and journeys. One out of every four women will have an abortion by the age of 45. That's 25% of women. Um, this is not a niche issue. This is not something that does not affect. This is one in four. You know, if you're in a room with four women, one of them has had an abortion. Um, you know, there's that slogan. We've all, we all know someone and love someone who's had an abortion. Well, it really is true. This, the statistics tell us that. Um, so the implications of this cannot be overstated. In either of your journalistic careers, have you ever had occasion to try to get allies to join you to uh, write a joint letter to a U.S. attorney general? Uh, for Mother Jones, this is the first time for us, but we felt that this was such a serious, serious, troubling uh, model legislation moving forward. We thought it was imperative that this is something that we needed to get on the radar of the Department of Justice right away. And we were so thrilled. We've been working in partnership with Mother Jones around um, some of our editorial work. And we were so thrilled when they wanted to partner on this idea, because this really is a time for media outlets to stand together. And we were so encouraged by the response we got from folks who are not necessarily associated 
with um, coverage of reproductive um, rights and justice issues, you know, because they're recognizing the threat to all media organizations. And we also have several outlets that are dedicated to the protection of journalists, like the Committee to Protect Journalists and PEN America signing on as well, really sending a message that this is something that everyone um, who cares about a free press, who believes that freedom of the press is vital to a functioning, healthy democracy, needs to be not only aware of, but paying attention to. Let me ask how you went about approaching the various media entities that were your co-signers on this, because I'm curious if any entities said no. You don't have to say who, but I'm very curious if that happened and what kind of response you got. It's a very and and you're right. I don't really think of the Radio Television Digital News Association being uh, uh, avatars of, of freedom for abortion rights providers. What went into this process of selection? Um, well, I think um, from our perspective, it was actually very easy to get people to sign on to this. I think the reality of the past you know, four years, eight years has really shown how um, democratic norms have really eroded in this country. And journalism organizations who have, you know, maybe in the past, maybe would have had more of a wait and see um, perspective on some of these changes um, really saw the clear and present danger right away. And so it was actually very easy to get people to participate in this. Yeah, I would second that. We were able to move really quickly with this. And we had a lot of discussion about what the right timing for this letter would be. Um, but we felt really strongly we needed to get out with it now because we have to take a proactive stand. South Carolina has already submitted a pre-file of this model legislation. So, you know, this is a thing we're talking about hypothetically. This could happen, yeah. except one state has already taken an actual step toward making it happen. Um, and we uh, can imagine that that's most likely only the first time that we're going to see this. So, you know, we felt really strongly it was important to get the Justice Department's eyes on this, um, to get folks engaged and aware um, before this starts to to gain any sort of momentum. It's hideous. It's like coat hanger Alec. They're just giving the the legislation to copy and paste uh, for for different states. And the list of organizations that joined Mother Jones and Rewire, just to name a few, BuzzFeed News signed on to this letter, HuffPost, The Intercept, The Nation, The American Prospect, The New Republic, Center for Public Integrity, Salon, New York News Publishers Association, Media Matters for America. It, It is really inspiring. What were the main specific requests you had of Attorney General Garland? Well, it's not unheard of for the Department of Justice to intervene in states where they have created laws that overstep constitutional protections. And so it's our aim to have the Department of Justice uh, to, one, firmly state that um, organizations have the right to publish information about abortion without fear of prosecution in other states. Um, But also, too, we don't have to wait until this law passes. Merrick Garland could say something right now to help protect and shield journalists uh, from laws coming into effect. And I think that, you know, for folks who work in this space, um, again, there is that sense of urgency. I think, you know, there has definitely within the reproductive rights movement been a lot of frustration with the current administration around its reluctance to say the word abortion, to take action, to even note what was happening. You know, the Supreme Court announced in May of 2021 that it was going to be hearing the Dobbs case. There was a year where we knew that this was going to be the case that ended the constitutional right to abortion. This was not a surprise. It was very clear when they agreed to take that case. And I think we're seeing, you know, the, 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 the just how widespread the damage has been from folks not saying, okay, we need to start, you know, raising our voices and pushing back against this and noting the seriousness of it. And I think we cannot afford to make that mistake again, not when constitutional protections are on the line. Thank you. Yes, there was a there was a pandemic playbook. And we never used it, but there was no end of row playbook and we had a year plus to get ready for it. Um, You know, not to be too paranoid, but it does seem like contraception is at play here, not just because of what Clarence Thomas said, but if this is the way they're going to be doing it and we know the way these things go and we know that, if I may, these Christians aren't interested with what's actually in the Bible, um, couldn't we be having this same conversation about protecting journalism 
from people waging lawsuits over giving contraceptive advice too? I think that's totally a real fear. And that fear actually comes from lived experience for Mother Jones. You know, in 2015, we spent and our insurance company spent $3 million to defend ourselves against a lawsuit brought by a wealthy conservative organization, a wealthy conservative individual who did not agree with the way he was depicted in the story. Even though we eventually prevailed, it was a huge commitment of resources for us. And so just even to think about a news organization that has to defend its reporter or defend its sources against a criminal prosecution in one of these states, it could be ruinous. And these are lawsuits, these are legal actions that um, could shut down an organization that does not have the resources. And that's one of the reasons why we feel so strongly about this. And certainly birth control is the next, um, you know, next stage in this war against um, reproductive freedom. We're already seeing states um, talking about banning IUDs, talking about banning Plan B, because the other thing that a lot of those um, folks, conservative folks don't necessarily understand is how biology works. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, they conflate using an IUD or using plan B with abortion, when it is 100 percent not. And so, you know, we're seeing so much misinformation around different methods of birth birth control. We are seeing attacks and, and attempts to limit access to birth control. And going all the way back to 1873 in the Comstock Act, that was an anti-obscenity law that specifically prohibited the dissemination of information about birth control. And for folks who think like, okay, but that was like 1873, I will just point out it took almost 100 years before the Supreme Court actually recognized that people, single people could talk about birth control. That was in a 1972 case. So, you know, the threat is not only very real, but it has um, a potential to be very, very long lasting. I mean, we're talking about like a generational impact that could result again if we're not proactive and if we're not drawing a line in the sand now and saying that this is wrong. I have one last question, and it's something that really inspired me, but it seems kind of daunting. In your specific request of the attorney general, you ask him to intervene if any state enacts such a law by using the Department of Justice's authority to halt the overall law from taking effect or provisions that may punish news organizations and reporters. I agree, but what might that look like? How do you how do we unpack that kind of request? Well, there's already precedence for this. So the Department of Justice actually sued the state of Idaho to stop its new anti-abortion law. And then it also intervened in the state of Alabama to uh, stop an anti-trans law. So this is something that's part of the playbook and something that the Department of Justice does. And I think it's also a message that we want to leave people with. I think so many people in this moment are feeling helpless, are feeling like there's nothing that can be done there's actually a lot that can be done. And it's on us to demand that the folks who represent us um, and are supposed to uphold our constitutional rights are doing what we need them to do. What is the best way for our listeners to learn more about this letter and the uh, crusade behind it? And how do we follow both of you? How do our listeners follow both of you and your work? Uh, Well, absolutely. They can go to Mother Jones's website, that's um, motherjones.com. Or um, if they want to find us on social media, we're at Mother Jones on the social media networks. Uh, my name is John Aberry. You can follow me on Twitter at, at John Aberry on Twitter. Yes. And we have both jointly published um, the letter on our respective homepages. So either motherjones.com or rewirenewsgroup.com. And of course, you know, everywhere on all the socials where where the kids are these days is where you can find us. So please do check us out because this is only the beginning. You know, these are, you know, initial steps that are being taken. We expect it to get a lot, lot worse um, and to get a lot, lot worse really quickly. So this is a time and a moment. I know everyone's exhausted and there's a lot of news fatigue. Uh, This is not the time to take a rest. 
Not at all. And I thank you both for giving me an all new thing to freak out about. I do earnestly, <laughs> sincerely appreciate Sweet it. Sweet dreams and, tonight, John. <laughs> well, no, but but I, but I at the same time, look, I, th- I, I think that despondency is privilege. I don't get to despair anymore. There's That's a luxury I can't do. I'm so inspired by the fact that we're seeing Rewire News Group and Mother Jones team up. To me, this is like the Avengers. I'm all for it. So I thank you both for creating this axis of decency. Galena Espinoza, President and Editor-in-Chief of Rewire News Group. John Aberry, Chief Operating Officer of Mother Jones. So honored to have you both. Please come back and see us again anytime. Thank you Thank so, you so much. much. Have a great evening. <laughs> and we will be right back with your calls all the way till midnight on the East Coast, 9 p.m. on the Pacific at 866-997-GRIT. We'll be right back. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Folks have been on hold for a very long time. Justin in New York, thanks for your patience. Hi. Uh, hi. John? Yes, sir. Yeah, hi. So I want to know like this. I mean, I, well, I should tell you I like your show. It's the first time I heard it. Oh, like, thank you. I grew up in... I, I consider myself an emotional conservative and intellectual Democrat. I don't know what you would say to people. Whoa, who, hang on a second. I kind of love what you just said, an emotional conservative and intellectual Democrat. I, I, I don't know what that means, but it's it's very original. I want to I learn more. Go ahead, please. Meaning that emotionally, you know, I grew up conservative. I am religious. I feel conservative, but I do understand the sort of intellectual basis system, liberal sort of, uh, you know, yeah, so you're 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 like you're sort of like um, conservatism was your your orientation, right? Your, your how you mm-hmm. were raised. I think a lot of us can relate to that, and we always want to hang on to the best of the values we were raised with while being open minded and, and growing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay, we're doing yeah. well. And well, so it's something like this. So, well, what, what you what you call the execution of a search warrant on on the Mar-a-Lago residence. What what will you say to people who view this? This execution differently, who viewed it as a really a, a raid and something that was unacceptable to to Donald Trump. You know, I mean, it depends where they're coming from. If they're if they're Trump supporters saying it's a raid, I'm not going to take away the pleasure of their self victimization. Uh, playing victim seems to be one of the batteries that makes this motor run. But I will remind them that um, Donald Trump doesn't fight for them. Donald Trump does nothing for non millionaires. That you know, there's just no conservative argument for him. There's no, and I mean no. Christ-based argument for Trump support. Uh, so, you know, but I, I'm not going to try and convince him. Uh, I don't yeah. think you can. Yeah, you don't think you can. No, but I'll I, say, I'll I, say, I will say there was probable cause, and I'll go through all the facts. There was probable cause. Mm-hmm. There was many. They, they tried for a year and a half to get the information back. Uh, Trump has lied and changed his story so many times about this. The narratives that we've been given from the fact that he didn't know. Okay, well, he knew, but the FBI planted it. Okay, but if they planted it, he has executive privilege. Okay, well, but he also retroactively declassified everything. That's a thing we made up. Like, the story keeps changing mm-hmm. every day. And I think that these hardworking folks deserve better representation. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I'll tell you this, you know, when I, when I was young, I was too young to vote. I definitely started off liking Donald Trump, and I really, really I think he just failed. We really didn't get anything uh, really done. I mean, in terms of even the social conservative things, I don't think we really accomplished much. He cut taxes, um, he cut taxes for rich people, and he made it easier for polluters. He, he promised he would, and he did. Right. Right, but that, that's not right. Like they're saying, that's not much of an accomplishment. Um, in terms of all his other campaign promises, really, I don't think that's for conservative justices. I don't think he really delivered. But really, I think it's really... Well, no, he did promise. He No, in fairness, he promised that he would overturn Roe v. Wade. 
He promised he would criminalize abortion at the federal level, and he succeeded. Mm -hmm. There's there's women who will die. There's women who will go to jail because of him. The the, the American people voted for the other person, but the Electoral College chose him. And uh, Barack Obama should have had one of those Supreme Court seats, but it was stolen. Brett Kavanaugh lied, but he got confirmed anyway. 50 million people had already voted before Amy Coney Barrett was sworn in, but she got to do it. So he promised that he would criminalize abortion on the federal level, and he pulled it off. He delivered. No, really, really just on a more, more general level, I'm I, really interested to hear what you have to say. I mean, why is it that all these people who are right-wingers, they, they always see it the other way, right? And on every issue, why, why is it that, that I mean, I, I think you're talking sense, honestly, I like what you're saying. Why is it that leftists always see it your way and then the right-wingers always see it the other way? Why is it always down the line, like everything, you know, climate Honestly, change, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of reasons for that. And again, there's there's a lot of diversity of thought when we say leftist. I mean, a lot, you know, the liberals mm-hmm. and, and, and Democrats and moderates and progressives and leftists, there's, there's a lot of diversity. In terms of right-wing thought, I, I trace a lot of it back to Reagan getting rid of the uh, fairness doctrine. It used to be if you had a hardcore right-winger, you had to bring on a left-winger at the end to give a balance. Again, that, that, that might be some kind of imposed fairness, but it made it a bit easier. You know, Now you get to have news you go to not for information but for affirmation, and we're in the golden age of niche news that all too often tells you what you want to hear. So when you're getting all your news from one place, you're going to get all your opinions from one place. And the irony to me is that we as Americans agree on a lot more than the media gives us credit for. Most of us want the rich to be taxed at a higher rate. Most of us want abortion rights to be legal in all or some cases. Most of us want to decriminalize marijuana. Most of us support paid family leave. Most of us support Medicare being able to negotiate for lower drug prices. Most of us want Medicare to include hearing and vision and dental. Like, we're not that divided. It just Mm -hmm. sells a lot more, you know, newspapers, gets a lot more clicks and more votes to play up how much we hate each other. That's true. You're saying it's basically the media that really pushes these things on their audience. The media and the politicians. The, the media and the politicians. Right. Well, on their way, they're the same thing. Uh, right. So that, that was really another thing. Um, what, what, this this, this, uh, this January 6th thing you were saying earlier, which was a coup. I understand what you're saying. It's a coup, an insurrection. I mean, there are people who will say that it was just like, you know, Donald Trump reacting, Donald Trump being angry. What do you say to these people? Well, you know, I don't fully agree with Professor Brett Schneider that it was a coup. I mean, oh, yeah. I've said for a long time to be to be a coup, you have to have the military, you have to have the media. You know, it, it can't just be this random act of violence. But as the months have gone by, we've seen how much right wing media was in on it and how much parts of the military and even Secret Service may have been in on it. Uh, I call it terrorism. I think what happened on January 6th was the use of violence or the threat of violence to enact policy change. That's Terrorism 101. That's the word I use. I, I, mm-hmm. Insurrection, fine. Um, I'm just keeping it old school and calling it terrorism. That's I what it was. I, I appreciate that. Like I said, my, this is my first time on your show. Um, I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. I feel like you're being interviewed. I know, but I like him. It's great. I, I, I like, you know, how do you classify yourself now? I, I understand wanting to be like a bit of everything. I don't belong to a political party. No, do you I, identify I, I a certain way? I don't, I don't want to be everything. Um, how do I classify myself? That's a great question. I don't, how do you classify yourself? I mean, look, I was raised by uh, my dad was a, a very conservative liberal, and my mother was a very liberal conservative. That's how I was raised. I, I have no clue what that means. Uh, what it means is that we were we were the most religious kids in town, and uh, we were the only kids whose parents always voted against Reagan. That's that's how it was. That is interesting. I'm actually, I'm actually, uh, I believe, uh, very religious. Um, I, I don't know who I vote for, though. I actually have never voted yet. Um, oh. that, that how, how old? How old are you, Justin? Can I ask? I, I'm 20 years old. Right on. Okay. I'm, I'm, thank you for calling. I mean, I, 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 I view everything through a prism of the Bible, and I piss off a lot of my liberal and atheist friends on this. But um, I, I bring the New Testament into, and the Old Testament into everything uh, in dealing with uh, the right and what the Republican Party does, because I am waiting for one of our conservative brothers and sisters to tell me one actual teaching of Jesus that Donald Trump or the Republican Party have fought for legislatively in the last 40 years. I'm waiting for one, and I, I well, haven't gotten it yet. I'm actually Jewish. I'm actually Jewish, so I don't know if okay. you're talking about Jesus. Well, I'd yeah. love you to, please, yeah. Uh, no, well, I don't want to talk about Jesus. Uh, no, right. well, well, I don't know. Well, you just said that you, you take taking from the Bible. I mean, so you're saying you could, you could base your, what I assume is somewhat left, left-wingish, there uh, situations on on you could base it on the Bible. I am liberal because of Jesus. Yes, and again, um, I'm all, I'm a big fan of talking about what's in the Torah and learning more about the Torah all the time. But for me, for a party that has adopted Jesus to be sort of their symbol, their mascot, 
their 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 prop, if you will. Um, I my big issue, uh, my big kink is uh, taking them on on the issue of Christianity. As long as they're going to claim to be Christian, as long as they're going to claim special status because they're Christian and uh, and claim special rights because they're Christian, I think they should have to prove which parts of Christ they actually follow, because I kind of feel it's a, it's a hat they wear, not a path they walk. Mm-hmm. Meaning it's more of a social situation, not a religious situation. I think they say Christian when they mean shit conservative white Americans like. I hear that. Okay, well, that's. I think it's really just the basic issue you're saying, that religion, at certain points, it becomes a social service sort of thing. A lot of people are religious, but they're really just following a social sort of order. They aren't well, I mean, that, I, I think community is a very important part of religion. I, mm-hmm. I think community is important. Sure. Not, not, not faith. Faith is between you and whatever you believe in, the commander-in-chief, if you mm-hmm. will, whether he or she exists or not. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, community is an important part of, of religion, absolutely. It's mm-hmm. just uh, cults and cliques that really turn me off. And again, I, I, I love everybody. I'll get along well with anybody. Go show well, me the well. most right wing Nazi in the world. And if if they need bone marrow and I'm a match, I'll I'll be there to help. But I'm liberal yeah. because of Jesus. And um, if you're going to use religion to justify being cruel to others, if you're going to use religion to justify policy, then you goddamn well better follow the actual teachings of the religion and not just mm-hmm. use it as for for uh, feigned piety. Mm-hmm. Well, it's actually, I'll tell you this, it's actually fascinating that you're saying that you base your liberalism on, on faith, on, on religion. Because I was actually discussing this with a, a very progressive friend of mine. He was saying that, he was, he was actually saying that. Now, I actually disagreed. I thought that really you could link all progressive agendas to a really atheistic point of view. I thought that was yeah. possible to do. Yeah, well, that, that is possible. There's a lot of more. Some of the best Christians I know are atheists, and God knows uh, there's plenty of regressive uh, antichrist, uh, you know, bureaucracy and religion that we all have to protest. But I can tell you, I'm a liberal. I was raised a liberal uh, because of Jesus and because of religious people like Martin Luther King and Gandhi and Dorothy Day, who my parents admired so much. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for me, that's that's sort of like I don't know how you can read uh, the Jesus parts of the Bible and say that any of that supports modern conservatism in America, because none of it does. Right. Well, so I'm well, into I'm into calling out hypocrites. That's one of my favorite things Jesus did. Yeah, 100%. Well, well I guess we would disagree on who is a hypocrite. Um, but it's very interesting, though, because you're, you're saying that you do base liberalism on, on Christianity. I, I want to know, like, so do you believe that Christianity would, or any religion would, allow for abortion or things like that? Yes. Well, let's put it this way. Uh, what, what's the difference between allowing for abortion or not putting people in jail for abortion? Because I, I don't know that Jesus would be pro-abortion. I'm pretty sure Jesus would be pro not putting women in prison for abortion because is Judaism against abortion? Is Israel against abortion? Well, Jesus is religion. That's a good question. Uh, that's yeah. Good question. yeah. Um, well, abortions are legal and free in Israel right now. Well, well, firstly, Israel is not exactly Judaism, right? We have to understand there are different interpretations of Judaism, different people who may or may not have the... What, right, but Jews, Jews don't fetishize criminalizing abortion rights, and Christians never did until the late 1970s. And now it's completely right. taken over Christianity. I mean, now, you'll agree, in our media culture, Christianity and wanting to criminalize abortion are the same thing. I mean, again, I blame the media for this. We don't talk about what Christ actually talked. We, if, if someone's anti-abortion, you assume they're Christian, even though mm-hmm. the Bible is not against abortion. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Now, yeah. now, what about, well, let's say let's, in, in other topics, for example, um, you know, gay situations, you, 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 like what? You, what, would, what, what do you think the Bible would say about that? What situations? What do you mean? LGBTQ, for example. Uh, well, I know what Jesus would say about it. Again, with the Bible, we're talking about the, the, the Torah and we're talking about the New Testament, right? So we're, in the case of Jesus, uh, he was very specific about loving people, not judging people. He never said a thing against gay people. Uh, not once. St. Paul has some hangups in the New Testament against gay people, but depending on the theologians you read, they'll tell you that those translations were him talking about Roman temple prostitutes. And it's the same with Judaism. A lot of people lean on Leviticus 
and say, you shall not lie with a man as with a woman. That's an abomination. Well, that's proof that God hates gay people. I think it's a stupid argument. Uh, I don't know why God would create so many gay people only for them to be hated. Every society that's ever existed on Earth has recorded same-sex relationships. Um, and a lot of that is the translation as well. What was meant in the ancient Hebrew by words like arsenicolati? Uh, in many cases, they think that that passage refers to, you shall not sleep with underage boys, you shall not sleep with male prostitutes. Either way... I mean, Leviticus, not to bore you, but, you know, Leviticus was like the terms and conditions of the of the Ten Commandments. Leviticus is all about keeping your tribe's numbers up. And if guys are having sex with guys, they're not reproducing. So I don't think you can justify any kind of homophobic legislative agenda from the book of Leviticus, especially because, you know, (laughs) when you actually read it, it, it demands the death penalty for adulterers. Uh, I don't think these Trump supporters have any business quoting that part of the Bible. Well, yeah, well, we could agree that conservatives may not be linked to the Bible. A lot of them, I don't know all of them. I well, they link themselves to the Bible, my friend. They link themselves to mm-hmm. the Bible. They oh, use oh, it to appear oh. virtuous. My whole thing, the thing that pisses off my, my wife and my agents, and boy, did my agents get mad, was that um, I don't think there's a conservative, uh, I, I don't think conservative Christianity is a thing. I think it's an oxymoron. Uh, and and mm-hmm. modern the modern conservative movement that calls themselves Christian, that defines themselves, that thinks they own Christ, that they own the Bible, that they own virtue. I don't see them fighting for anything that Jewish Nazarene actually taught. That, 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 that could be. Uh, like I was saying, I think I disagree with you on, on being a Leviticus. I think you could ask some very good questions in terms of why God would do things. Obviously, you could discuss the Odyssey if you want to. And why, you know, why would God? Why would God create? gay people and trans people in every civilization that keeps records just so they could be despised. I think it's a spiritual test. And I don't think if you're going to say that being gay is wrong because of Leviticus, then you've got to follow every law Leviticus, which means you're not allowed to cut your hair at the temples. You are not allowed to have tattoos. You have to be stoned Mm -hmm. to death if you work on Saturday. The average Mm -hmm. right wing American Christian would never dream of following those teachings oh, sure. but oh but uh, the, the gay hate true. i like that one let's pick everyone picks and chooses the parts of their holy book no matter what religion they follow but when you right. pick no, and choose the right. parts of your holy book to justify cruelty to justify being a dick that's when you got to be called out for it yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's that's a great point i mean people definitely pick and choose you're, you're getting to really i think a more complicated thing about when people pick and choose and then, then you sort of say well they can't pick anything uh, that, that that's a major problem yeah well yeah. yeah, everyone picks and chooses. But when you're picking and choosing, look, if you're a Christian, your job is very simple. You don't get to judge anyone. You have to love everyone. If you don't like that, find a new name for your religion. Mm-hmm. I got that. Yeah, I feel right the same way a lot. A lot. I Listen, that. I'm enjoying this, I Justin. You're a gentleman. I got 400 people on hold I got to go to. But please call us more often. It's lovely to have you. And uh, I really appreciate the questions you ask. And, uh, and, and you challenge me on some interesting ways. Fine. Thank you, John. Have a great evening. Thank you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Let me go to Craig in L.A. Hello, Craig. John. All right. I'm going to help you out here, John. Tell I'm me out be, here. Uh, okay. First of all, okay, so I'll get it out of the way. I'm a Republican. Okay. I'm a logical Republican. I'm a smart Republican. I know, like I know y'all are. I call y'all unicorns these days. I'm glad you're safe. Exist. Please we mark exist. yourself safe, so, please. Just okay. to show you that I listened to every word you said, I'm going to prove it. My two favorite Redford movies are The Natural and The Sting, by far. Very Everything good choices. And he, yeah, okay. and he called it out. Yesterday was De Niro. Yeah. You had called out De Niro. I, was on, I, I wanted to call him, but I couldn't. 
uh, De Niro, Meet the Fockers. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, yes. that's not your favorite. That is not your favorite no, well, De Niro no, it's, film. It's not my favorite, but it's a good one. It's a good one. It's a good that's one. not I, in your time. If you and I sat there, listen, listen, I'm not a Democrat, but, <laughs> but, but, but whatever I am to Republican, if you and I sat down without any politics in the room with a list of De Niro films, I would have you, you would know Meet the Fockers is not in your top 10. That I, I might not be able to convince you on single payer, but I can convince you on Meet the Fockers. Go on, please. All right. All right. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. So the last guy, he was talking about Helen Keller. I don't think anyone was ever talking about Helen Keller. So, okay. No, but so, she was a communist. She was, she was a communist. Yeah, but we're, talk, we're talking about Anne Frank. Yes. Okay. So, but, but Helen Keller, they tried to ban Helen Keller. If she was alive, they'd be trying to cancel her, too. Go ahead. So a couple, couple questions, and I, and, I, and I called in because I said, I'm ready to talk about whatever you want. This is a good one. John, I, I have a daughter. Do you, do you have kids? I do. Okay. Um, is the is the diary of Anne Frank banned in whatever state? I'm not supporting or not supporting any of these bans. But is the diary of Anne Frank banned in these states, or is it just the graphic depiction the, uh, of the? Diary as I of said, Anne? you were listening. As I said, the graphic novel version of the diary of Anne Frank, which has the exact Correct. text of the original book in it, right, was right. pulled the from the shelves. Not banned. Not banned. It may be returned to shelves. Okay, but the implication was that you made was you can't teach Anne Frank in school. That was the implication no. you made. No, it's not. So no, I, I said it was. I didn't say that. I said it was taken from the. Hang on a second. I said it was taken from libraries and it goes through a review process and it may be put back on the shelves. That's exactly what I said. About the and I gave the arguments and I gave the arguments for why they didn't like the graphic novel and I even mentioned Correct. that everything in the graphic novel they don't like is included in the original text. Correct. Now, the diary of Anne Frank is not banned. That's no, the thing. graphic novel version. Your kids can learn about the, yes. the, the diary of Anne Frank as they should. Yes, and that, yes. And, and, and I think that's an important characterization to make for people who maybe just yes. tuned in and were like, whoa, Republicans are banning the diary of I mean, Anne Frank. No, I was pretty thorough about it. They just banned the version that has pictures. I even quoted the New York Times review of this book in 2019. It's a new thing. I was very clear that it's the uh, illustrated John, version. Johnny Semantics, yeah. where is this now all going? Get, now you're getting my producer mad. Go it's ahead. Not semantics. It's a, it's, if, 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 if there is a book, there are age-appropriate. You have children. I have children. There's age-appropriate ways to tell stories. Okay? About the Holocaust. Age, About the Holocaust. Of course Especially the Holocaust. What you tell right. a five-year-old okay. is not what you're going to tell a fifteen-year-old. But but my point was, there's nothing in the graphic novel that's not in the book, and the book is still safely on the shelves. Then why is the graphic novel? How did it get produced? If it's the same book, why? Do because we a single parent in the district didn't like the graphic novel and no, wanted to take it why down. Why did someone create the second book if the book if, if it's no difference? Why have two books? Because it's a way, one thing people do is try to jazz books up, literary classics, Correct. Shakespeare, etc. So agree. young people will get into it. It's sort of why we make movies out of these I things. I agree. Like if okay. Romeo and Juliet, Romeo and Juliet, the story of Romeo and Juliet, Shakespeare. If someone made a pornographic version of Romeo and Juliet, that wouldn't be age appropriate for a school age kid. Do well, it wouldn't disagree? be legal because Juliet's only 13 years old. But go ahead. We've got to wrap up. Really really? Oh, I don't hey, know about that. What was that, that okay. movie? Okay. Juliet's, thir oh. Juliet's 13 years uh, old in the play. Uh, someone already did that, and his name's Franco Zeffirelli, and I watched it in grade school. But it wasn't pornographic, is what yeah. you're saying. And it's not, well, well, what I'm saying is... She was the opposite. It was very boring. You, Go you, ahead. You get my point, I think. Okay, the last thing is... Uh, I don't know. No, I don't get your point. I don't see what we're disagreeing on even. Go ahead. No, it's my last point. No, it's my last point. We're not disagreeing. Okay. We do agree that you can, you can, you don't, you're not banning the Anne Frank book. We agreed on that. Yeah, okay. I never last said thing. they were. Go ahead. <laughs> Great. Love it. Okay. The, the last thing you said is, and it, it just, it's, it's weird to me, you keep saying that Rob DeSantis had a don't say gay law. Who's Rob DeSantis? Don't say gay Ron DeSantis. Bill. Don't say gay bill. Rob DeSantis. That, is, that has become the common parlance for explaining that bill. Yes. The implication is that he's saying you can't say gay. I That's literally, literally explained what my friend, I literally said what the bill entails, that you are allowed to say gay in schools, but any parent can sue you if you say gay. So it's about self-censorship. Did you age? not listen to what For I what said? At any, age, at any age, that any age that is incorrect. deemed inappropriate, there's wiggle room language in the law that will allow any parent of any child of any age to sue any employee of any school for saying anything they don't like. 
There is so much Incorrect. wiggle room in this law. Incorrect. There will be lawsuits Incorrect. forever over this. Incorrect. The yes, law it, no, I'm not. states K through three, which I no, it doesn't. Think is enough. I think I think K through three, you should be teaching math, science, spelling, reading, uh, a, a curriculum that kids need to know. And I think there's some things that kids need to learn. Uh, as they grow older, age appropriateness is the only point that I need to make on this topic that a lot of people get my stance on this. There's age appropriateness with certain topics. Okay, that here's my it. thing. And may that's may I please? Okay, I got to go to break. And Craig, I enjoy this, but I'm going to stop you, you right I like now. You. I like you. In the bill, it says like classroom Craig. instruction by school personnel or third parties on sexual orientation or gender identity may not occur in kindergarten through grade three or... Thank you. Thank or you hang up on you. in a manner that is not age appropriate or developmentally appropriate for students in accordance with state standards. What standards? We don't know because they don't say. It's a fuck around and find out law. And he literally... Literally ran away before I completely destroyed he his knew argument. Because Why he, did they because do he, this? Because it, all he has is these semantic arguments that are about he the was, minor details. He, because the larger point is not arguable to a, a reasonable I person. Literally pulled out that clause from the law, and he ran away before he could be proven to be what he is. Craig, you're better. I don't think he is better. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.